church. Man, you all look good in white. I thought about coming out here and just being like, hang on, smile. I, I won't do that for you. I, uh, <clears throat> today is going to be a special day. As you've already heard, there's at least 45 people who have already decided to make today special. If you're visiting with us today, uh, I promise we won't make you drink any Kool-Aid either. Um, but if you want to take communion, I guess you could do that. Uh, hey, we're really glad you're here. But let me tell you why we're all wearing white. In case you're visiting or you missed the memo, let me just tell you why we're wearing white. We've been studying the book of Revelation. Today's the last day in that study. And there's this thing that keeps coming up in the book of Revelation over and over and over again. And we see it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Here it is. Let me read it to you. And it says this, All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. And so what we wanted to do is gather together and practice a little bit of heaven on earth. Just for one Sunday, we just wanted to like mimic it. And so I'm so thankful for all of you remembering or grabbing a t-shirt, being willing to go along with us in heaven, whether we literally wear white or we don't wear white. In the book of Revelation, the color white stands for victory. And so over and over and over again, we see a white horse and it stands for victory. And we see people wearing white and it stands for victory. And that's why here in Revelation 3, 5, this word in particular, victorious, stands out to us. It is a proclamation about those who make it until the end. Now, this word victorious is an interesting word. It's the Greek word nikaeal or nikaeal. However you say that, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's as close as I can get. And it literally means to overcome. And depending on your translation, if you brought a Bible with you, you may notice it says victory, victorious, overcome, conqueror. These kinds of concepts are all wrapped up in this word victorious. But it brings up a great question. If you're visiting with us today, this is the one question you need to latch on to. And that is this, what are we overcoming? And we're overcoming what? And if you were to peruse the Bible, you'd find a number of answers. The book of Revelation gives us seven, or at least I picked seven, which is a good biblical number of the book of Revelation. But here's why. Here's the seven things Revelation tells us we're overcoming. Number one, we're overcoming Satan. We're overcoming sin. We're overcoming death. We're overcoming temptation. Hang on to this. To believe lies about God. This is huge. In the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 of the book, what we find is uh, Satan is going around. He's having a fantastic time tripping up the believers and getting them to turn away from God and to turn on each other to literally fight and argue and devour and to backbite and to believe lies about God and who he is. And we are told, yeah, go ahead and go to the next one. They were trying to keep up with me there. We are told that uh, overcomers overcome the desire to give up on God. They overcome hypocrisy. In fact, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 tells us all about these people who lie and deceive about who they really are, who God really is. And then this last one, number seven, is huge because there's this constant temptation or desire to turn to someone or something other than God for life, for hope, and for pleasure. Now, if you're visiting with us or you've been visiting with us and you're starting to get a concept for who God is, who this church is, who Jesus is, trying to wrap your head around this, this one point right here would be summarized in this word that believers, Christians, call sin. Now, if you are visiting You've heard the word sin, and it usually comes to the context of somebody who says they're a Christian, and they're using it to beat up or condemn someone else. They're taking that moment of brokenness in their life where there's something where they're not lining up with God, and they use it to judge them and pronounce something over them. When the Bible is talking about sin, it's talking about it in a completely different context, in a completely different relationship. It's talking about it in this way, as that thing that is a barrier between you and God. And here's the thing about barriers between you and God. God has been on a mission 
Since the dawn of creation, since the fall of Adam and Eve, he's been on a mission to overcome those barriers. He's been pursuing you and chasing you and trying one at a time to strip those things away so that you could see him for who he really is and that you could see yourself for how he really made you and how much he really loves you. In fact, my friend who's a pastor, his name is Scott Nickel, he says this. The whole Bible can be summed up in this one phrase. God is faithful and people forget. Does that seem about right to you? Let me just tell you, if you're struggling with this Jesus thing real quick, let me just give you insight into the person on stage, and I'm going to guess almost every single person here, that phrase is still very much us. When sickness comes, when disease comes, when death comes, when fighting with our families come, when hardship comes, when, uh, when things get really complex and we don't know what to do about it, we are all tempted to turn, to turn our back on God to stop trusting him, start trusting in ourselves and our own methods and our own ways and, and to turn away from God and forget that he is good and he is faithful all the time. What does it mean to forget? To forget, to forget simply means this. It means to lose trust in God's intentions and provisions. Think about it for a second. Money, children, success, spouses, physical appearance, addictions, all of these things are efforts that we make in order to try to get better, to deal, to cope. So we chase after these things. We pour our hearts, our energies, our times, our efforts into these things in hopes of looking good enough, being good enough. And there's this thing, when we're finally honest enough and nobody else is around and we stand in front of the mirror and we're willing to look in that mirror, honestly, what we're able to say is, I realize all these things are failing. They are not following through on the thing that I thought they would deliver. And we realize in those moments when nobody else is around, we're just really honest that those things have left us wanting. And it's not until we get to that place where we realize that, that something can happen about it. The problem is this. The majority of us know, they, we know that no matter how hard we try, our best efforts will keep falling short. We try to be good, we want others to believe we're good, but we just simply deep down know we really aren't that good. We don't have it as put together as we want others to believe that we do. Yours truly included. And what do we do with that? Well, there's a guy in the Bible, his name is Paul. He wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. And uh, he says it this way in his own words, Galatians chapter 2, verses 21 and 19. He says this, if keeping the law <clears throat> could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. And what Paul is getting to here, this is impactful. If you don't understand the language, let me try to unpack it. The law would be referring to the Old Testament law, the ways of God, where he says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, over 300 of those rules. And Paul comes along and he tells us, nobody kept those rules better than me. I was the best of the best of the best. I mean, he literally says, I'm the best Pharisee you ever met. I kept these rules excellently. And yet the problem is the harder I tried to keep them, the more I failed because I kept messing up. And even though I was able to keep them 75 or 85 or 95, he didn't give us the number percent of the time. It's that 5%, that 20% that made him realize he is in a desperately bad place because he doesn't have it all put together, even though everybody else thought that he did. The good news is when you finally get to that place like Paul, there's only one place to look. Up. Some people call this rock bottom. You know, when you finally have gone as far as you can go and you finally get to that point, you come to the end of yourself and you realize there is no hope for me because I keep chasing these things and they keep leaving me wanting. And when you finally do that, you finally get there, you go, ah, 
Is this going to get any worse? And then you look up and you go, help! I need you, God. Because I'm in this mess. Can you get me out of this? And that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. That's why Paul, if you go look the rest of what he says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, he says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Come all the way back. Why don't you see verse 20 again? Look at verse 20. My old self. This is what Paul is trying to get to. Remember who he said his old self was. His old self was the good, the best, the better than everybody else you ever met self. He said, I had to let that me die. Not just die, I had to kill him. How? I had to kill him on the cross. Just like Jesus went to a real cross and died in the flesh, Paul said, I had to take the old me and I had to let him die. I had to stop striving to be good enough in anybody else's eyes and I had to just die, literally lay down and die and let God do for me what I could not get done for myself. I mean, that may sound terrifying. To be honest, in some ways it is. But the beautiful thing is it's glorious because it's in that place we find absolute mercy, absolute grace, and absolute victory. It's when we come to the end of our best efforts, we find ourselves wrapped in the glory of God and his best efforts. In case you aren't sure, let me just tell you up front, his best efforts are always better than yours. So let's ask this question. How do we overcome? Well, Paul said it. We overcome by crucifying the old self. How? How do we crucify the old self? Well, I could build you a, a cross if you'd like and give you some hammer and nails. And uh, if you have enough enemies, somebody might be willing to do the deed for you. I don't recommend you go that route in case you've never seen the passion of the Christ. It's brutal. It's not good. I don't recommend that. I think there's a better way, a better way. Galatians chapter 3, the very next chapter in Galatians says this. Paul is now wrestling with this with the people in Galatia, and he says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And what Paul's trying to get through here, understand this, is Paul's trying to build an argument. Go back with me. Paul's trying to build an argument. He's trying to say, look, you were obeying and obeying and obeying. Go back to verse 1, obeying Moses, but it wasn't getting you anywhere. You were obeying Moses, and it wasn't doing anything for you. So how did you finally get where you're trying to go? I think I put the wrong verses up there, didn't I? I did, didn't I? I told them the wrong verse. I don't know what verse I'm reading because apparently I told them the wrong verse. So I'm going to read the verse I have. It's in Galatians 3, but apparently I put the wrong number. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3. We'll fix that between the services. Uh, verse 3, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Is that verse 2? Hey, look at that. Okay. Yes. I did give him the right verse, kind of. All right. Do you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. Let me just be clear here. What Paul's saying is, you can't get where you're trying to go on your own efforts. You can't get there. The only way to get where you want to go, which is having God in you, is to receive the Spirit because you did what? Believed. And the message you heard about Christ. Believe. Is it really that simple? 
Well, yeah. And no. For anybody who's been a believer for any length of time, you know it's not simple, is it? I mean, in one hand, yeah, it's really that easy. In one hand, it's really that clear. In one hand, it's really that, that easy. But on the other hand, it's extremely difficult, isn't it? Because let me just tell you up front, what God wants for your life is not just simply a, a stepping over a line and saying, yep, I believe. Whew, I got my get out of hell free card. Whew, I'm all good. I'm in white. No, God has intentions for you that are far grander than that, far bigger than that. He intends to conform you into the likeness of his son that comes right out of Romans chapter 8. He has every desire for you to become like Jesus. That means he wants to kill old you and resurrect new you. He wants to put to death the old ways and resurrect new ways. That's a very long and tedious and hard and painful process at times. Other times it's glorious with lots of triumph and victory in this life but let me just tell you what you're doing at the moment of faith at the moment of belief is you're saying I'm not going to try it on my own anymore I don't dare go forward without you because I know you and in you alone is victory so some of you may be sitting there I know this let me just verbalize what's in your head I want a savior maybe even I even need a savior but I got questions and I have fears and I have anxieties. And I'm still struggling with is really everything the Bible says true? I'm not sure, like, I'm okay with organized religion. It just seems like they always have an agenda. I'm really not sure I can vote Republican, <laughs> especially if Trump ends up being the candidate. Am I going to have to tell my spouse about that thing that they don't know about? Am I going to have to wear white every Sunday? Does that mean I'm going to have to stop doing this thing that I like? Let me just say, if what's keeping you from taking this step of faith are all those questions... Now, let me just challenge you to this. Would you be willing to put those questions aside for one minute and not worry about where God's going to take you at step 2 or 12 or 15 or 55 in your walk with him, but just worry about that first step, that moment where you say, I'm going to go all in. I'm just going to trust you. At the end of the day, that's what it means to believe. Belief is not just a generic, oh, yeah, I believe. You know what? I believe the earth is round. But this is deeper than that. This is, I believe that you really are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Without you, I have no life. Without you, I have no hope. So I'm going to trust you with every area and aspect of my life. And I don't know what all you're going to do in me yet, but I just know that you're good. And I know that you're kind. And I know that you're faithful. And I know that you're merciful. And I know that you love me. And if you can get to that place, then let God work out the next steps. There might be some things at some point you need to confess to your spouse, and God might lead you to do that after today. I don't know. There might be some things that you need to go to a friend and say, I'm sorry, I've been prideful and arrogant and not willing to swallow my pride. I need to admit I was wrong. God might lead you to that painful destination. God might take you back to a family member you are broken with and you are angry about and have you reconcile and love them and serve them even though they're mean and angry to you. God might have you give up something that you are absolutely hooked on because you don't want to quit it and you're afraid of it. You're afraid to quit it and he gives you the strength and the power to do it. God may do all those things in your life, but none of those things come none of them come without his power in you in fact paul same guy we've been talking about says this in romans chapter 8 verse 29 for god knew 
his people in advance. You know what that means? Before you even sat foot here today, he knew you. He knew whether you were going to show up today or not. He knew whether or not you'd be willing and dangerous enough to put on a white shirt. He knew what your plans were for today, and he knows what your plans are for tomorrow. In fact, more than just he knew you, he chose them to become like his son. That's the thing. God's on a journey with you. He's going to conform you, and he's known you for a long time. He's watched every painful moment that's happened in your life, either from your own hands or the hands of others. He's watched them, and he's never been absent. He's never been far away, and that raises all kinds of questions. Then why did you let them, God? And all I can tell you is God was there as a faithful father weeping over his children who were hurting, promising, I still can bring good from this. Just let me do it. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chose them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And this is what we're talking about. We talk about faith at Kingsway. This is what God is doing in you. This is what God wants to do with you. He wants to take your pain and your muck and your mire, your mistakes and the evil that's happened to you, and he wants to give you glory. The thing that you've been pursuing on this earth, glory and fame and money and success and power and fulfillment, God says, I want to give you all that and more. The only problem is it's not found in the things you're looking for it in. It's found in him and in him alone. So is it really true the only thing I have to do is believe? Yes, but that's not the only thing that God wants to do in you. God wants to kill old you. He wants to crucify old you. He wants to resurrect new you, which is why God gave us this great gift called baptism, which is why we have this baptistry down here, and this is why we have this one over here, because there's a lot of people today letting today be the day they say, old me dead, new me alive. In fact, just a few verses later in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How'd you get there? Through faith. But then he goes on and he says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And to get the analogy of what he's saying here, he's been talking about death and crucifying and killing the old self. He's now describing that. When we go into the waters, we kill old us. It's like taking off the soiled clothes of the life that we had before. We leave them in the waters and we come up. We come on dressed in white, victorious in him. We are now reigning, crucified with Christ. That's the reason why we do baptism is because we're becoming one with him and uniting with him in this very powerful day. This day when you are tempted later to quit or to turn away Away, or you've fallen away for a season, and I know some of you, this is your story. You can look back and say, on that day, on that day, I was united with him, and him with me, and nothing, no one, anywhere can take that away from me. It's a victory that comes through the blood of Jesus, through the name of Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Maybe today is your day to join with him in this way. In baptism, in baptism, God kills who you are. And he resurrects the new you. <laughs> what a glorious day of rejoicing it will be. I'm curious to know how many people today are going to take this step. So let's talk about baptism for just a moment. Here at Kingsway, we only celebrate baptism through one method. <clears throat> we call it immersion baptism. What that means is you go fully under the water, all of you, under the water and out of the water. Do our best to make that happen if you're a big dude today. <laughs> you might choose that one, all right? <laughs> 
my first baptism ever as a minister, uh, the lady's hair, she had a ton of hairspray. It's been about 17 years ago. And her hair floated to the top of the water. I mean, she'd only been at the church a couple months, I and mean, she, was, she was brand new. And she came up backstage, I hugged her, and I joked with her. I said, hey, I just want you to know, man, praise God, you're going to be in heaven one day. You'll be bald, but you'll, <laughs> you're going to be in heaven one day. Man, I, I should have known not to joke with somebody so new at this because, man, the look of pale on her face looked like my shirt. I was, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Why do we practice baptism by immersion only? Let's just talk about it because it's kind of like the question we get all the time. Let's just talk about it. So the word baptism literally is the word baptizo in Greek, and it's a verb. And it literally means to dip, to immerse, or to submerge. In fact, throughout Greek writing, it's used to talk about a ship that goes out to war, and it loses the battle, and it sinks. And what it says there in those Greek writings, it says it baptized. That ship was baptized. Not that the water splashed on it, but that the whole thing went down and really died under the waters, which is how we get to this. It has to do with cleansing, dipping, submerging, washing, to make clean with water, or to overwhelm. This whole thing, there's actually a a passage in ancient Greek where somebody's writing about washing, and they're talking about washing um, a clothing, I believe it is, and, and they're talking about baptizing the clothing in the solution. Now, this is powerful stuff because part of what, what the, the biblical writers are trying to get to us, the reason we don't practice sprinkling, it's not because we think people who've been sprinkled aren't saved. It's not because we think people who are sprinkled aren't believers, and we're not going to stand with them in white in heaven, victorious with them. It's just that we want to be faithful to what we believe the New Testament says, and the only form we know of in the New Testament is immersion. This is why John the Baptist, he's standing in water, and people come out to him in the water to get baptized. He could have literally taken barrels or cups or jars of water and splashed everybody who want to baptize. This is why the eunuch in the book of Acts, which we'll get to talk about here in, in next, starting next week, uh, he goes down into the water. He didn't have to go down into the water. Uh, it, Philip could have just gone and taken a couple handfuls of water and threw it in his face. And I get all the things. I've read all the stuff on why people are sprinkled. Again, these are our brothers and sisters. We love them. I have family members who've been sprinkled, and I told them only parts of them will be in heaven. I'm just kidding again. <laughs> But here at Kingsway, we only practice baptism by immersion. That's a joke. Please don't go out and quote that I said they won't all of them be there. They'll have holy genes or something. But look, the point of baptism, the point of baptism is this marker moment whereby you are becoming one with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection. Jesus went all the way into the tomb. This is why Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? That's the whole point right there. We join him in his death. He actually goes on in verse 4, and I don't know if we have this up there, but For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Do you hear that? New lives. And I told you last week, this word new is the word redeemed. It's the word for restored. It's the word for the old gone and remade into something new. Let me ask this great question. Who should be immersed? 
It's the one everybody's wondering about if you're sitting there right now. I have two quick answers for you. Number one, anyone old enough to know they need a Savior. Anyone old enough to know you need a Savior. And number two, anyone who has not been immersed before. Now let me just camp on the first one for a minute. There's no way for me to be able to sit here and tell you at this age you're ready. I have met eight-year-olds who were ready, and I've met 12-year-olds who weren't. And so here's what I tell you. Parents, if you're sitting there wrestling, your kids are coming to you and asking questions. Our, our team here is fantastic at helping you unpack that. But you as a parent are going to have to wrestle with, does my child understand what a Savior is? Do they understand their sin? Not do you understand, because I guarantee you as a parent, you understand. Do they understand what sin is? Do they understand that they can't get there on their own? Do they love Jesus? If so, then let them do this. And I would encourage you to be the one to do it. Because someday I won't be in their life. Someday the staff won't be in their lives. But you hopefully will be there for a long time. And number two, this other one, this, uh, anybody who has not been immersed before, let's just say that you, you've been sprinkled. Now look, if you were sprinkled as a baby, and I know at least one or two people here were sprinkled as an adult, let me just camp out on both those separately. So if you were sprinkled as a baby, here's my challenge to you. Today I want you to pick up your phone, I want you to take an email or a t pull out a card, and I want you to write an extremely generous and kind and loving letter or a phone call to the person who led you to that place, so your parents, your grandparents, your aunt and uncle, neighbor, whoever it was, and just say thank you. Thank you for building a foundation on my life that today, today, Jesus took to the next level. In his, my journey with him, he took me to the next level. Thank you for loving me enough to do that in my life. And then you could tell them, today I made it, that same decision. I made it for myself. I didn't let anybody else make it for me. I made it for myself. And I became one with Christ by immersing in baptism. And thank them. That's what you need to do. That's the heart you need to have. Let's say you're an adult and you've been sprinkled before. Look, I'm not saying what you did wasn't real, it didn't count. I'm not saying that. I've been accused of saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is here at Kingsway, we only practice one form, and everybody starts at the same place in the same location. We all start at immersion. And I would encourage you to join this church, to become one with us and what God is doing in this world. You do that by joining him in baptism. And my best example is Jesus Christ. He comes to John the Baptist, and John says, what are you doing? I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, I have to do this. I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus didn't have any sin. He wasn't washing anything away in the waters, but he still went into the waters of baptism, immersed by John the Baptist in faithfulness to God. And because of that, in those same texts, we're told the Holy Spirit came down out of heaven and descended upon Jesus. There's something about baptism and the old self dying and the new self being raised to life and God filling you up with this Holy Spirit. There's something about those things that all come together in one beautiful moment that is the beginning, the beginning of a journey to victory. Now let me just read this to you as we close here and then we're gonna celebrate as we watch a whole bunch of people making this decision. Romans chapter eight, verse 31, uh, Paul writes this. What shall we say then about such wonderful things of these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 
Verse 37, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. This verse right here, overwhelming victory is the same word, same word in Revelation 3, 5. It's nikeo right here, except for Paul adds a little Greek word here, this one. It's hooper in Greek. It'd be like saying hyper. It's like he's saying hyper victory, overwhelming victory. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what he's saying is there's nothing that's going to stand in your way because nothing can prevent you from God's love. Nothing can ever tear you down if you remain in that love, neither death, nor the calamity, nor sickness nor threats or anything else that anybody brings against us will be able to stand because our Savior stands in heaven pleading our case and we will wear whites in victory. So, yeah. So what we're going to do now is just celebrate and we're going to celebrate right now. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. It's going to be a big old singing party. And I know some of you are like, oh, man, I don't do the singing thing. You're going to do it a lot in heaven, so it's good practice, all right? <laughs> if you're visiting today and you don't know these words, can I just encourage you with this? Soak in the words. Listen to them. Realize these are commitments and promises we're proclaiming before God, and he's proclaimed for us. We're going to sing about his glory. If you have signed up and registered to get baptized today, I want to encourage you to come down and go to my left over there. we got people ready to walk back with you. If you're baptizing somebody and you want to do that, would you do that? If you are here today and you didn't even plan on this, we got a whole system set up just for you. You don't even have to bring your own clothes. we got clothes you can put on swimming trunks and a T-shirt. we got them back there. It's all ready. You can walk out a brand new man, a brand new woman today. Make today the marker moment. You look back and know victory was overwhelmingly yours. While we sing and you're watching, at any point you want to make that decision, you just go to my left, your right, and you just say, I wasn't playing on this. Let's do this, and we'll join with Christ together. Let's sing.